My name is Mary Grace, and you're listening to the Homebody Podcast. Here, we explore embodiment as interstellar beings, practicing how to live more fully as creatures of both the stars and the earth. These spiritually and artfully minded conversations intersect astrology, creative practices, intuition, magic, healing, poetry, and a deep love for the natural world. My hope is to enliven you so we can co-create possible regenerative futures, to encourage you so together we can become dynamic agents of beauty, fully awake with our power intact. Let us be intentional as we approach the creation and caretaking of life, and let's make room for inquiry, sensitivity, and joy. Thank you for listening. Welcome. Hello. Today's episode, we're going to talk through the astrology for the second half of March, including the Virgo full moon that is happening tomorrow, as well as the sun and Mercury moving into Aries. I'll also briefly share a themed exploration, which is going to sort of continue um, what we've been talking about um, water medicine over the past few weeks. And we'll also close as always with a poem prayer. So the first thing we'll talk about today is the full moon in Virgo, which um, when this episode is coming out will be tomorrow on Friday, March 18th. And this full moon feels very bright with exchange, change, movement in many ways. It's on this bridge, really, this bridge axis between Jupiter domain and Mercury domain. And as we've talked about before on the podcast and other places, Jupiter and Mercury are opposites. Their signs are opposite one another and their processes are quite different. You know, whereas Jupiter and Pisces is holding down the mystical, spiritual, big picture, the things that you can't quite explain because they're so big and idealistic and imaginative. Mercury Virgo energy is more meticulous and detail oriented and efficient and precise and thorough. And this full moon is creating a bridge between them because the moon is in Virgo, then so Mercury is ruling it. But Mercury is across the way in Pisces with Jupiter. So there is a lot of collaboration of these opposite energies happening in a way that I think can be really constructive. You know, I don't know where it came from. I'm sure this is someone's like signature system, but I don't really know who it is or what it is. But I heard someone on a podcast say that, you know, every visionary needs an integrator. And that's been sticking with me. <laughs> As someone who is very visionary, I can definitely attest to that. I greatly benefit um, and things happen everything around me benefits. When I'm working with folks who are more integrative, they're able to get into nitty gritty about things better than I am um, because my I'm able to do that now, but it's not my specialty or my gift. My gift is seeing the whole map and what's up ahead and where we could go and all the possibilities. And the integrator does well when paired with a visionary because nitty gritty folks can have a way that they just can kind of work themselves into a hole <laughs> or like sanding it down until there's nothing left because their attention can get so minute. It can for be they can forget that we're actually going somewhere too. So it can be helpful to be with folks who are looking out and ahead. So it's a great pairing, right? This full moon feels like a great pairing of the visionary and the integrator. They can get things done. They're not just building, they're looking ahead and there's a precision and innovation happening together. And 
you know, since there's so much Piscean influence here, the work is likely to also be filled with meaning, perhaps compassion, and even a sense of flow. Maybe there's good news or conversations that can be had that yield that sense of vision, or maybe they open up new ways or new paths forward. Jupiter is very powerful right now as well. Jupiter is visible in the sky again. Jupiter is on their favorite side of the sun and very much in their kingly power and able to exercise their will and their way very much. So overall, I think the words collaboration, working together with opposite skills um, for the sake of vision and construction and filling that work with meaning and for the sake of what is they, whoever's participating for the sake of what is good and compassionate. The following day on Saturday, March 19th, Venus will square Uranus. And so like I mentioned in the last forecast episode a few weeks ago, Venus has not been having the best time. Venus went retrograde in December, and when she went direct, Mars was right there. And so now she has this like traveling partner that's like annoying and messy and hot. And she has to go through the gates of Pluto, and now she's traveling with Mars, and Mars is getting blood all over her clothes, and she's enclosed right now at this point as well, which means Venus has Mars on one side and Saturn on the other side. So she's sort of getting tossed around, perhaps getting used as a bargaining chip or spending all of her energy trying to like, you know, make peace or, you know, keep the two contestants on the opposite sides of the ring. You know, they just refuse to be peaceful, and she's kind of stuck in the middle, refereeing. And so that story, um, to add to that story, Venus then makes a square on March 19th to the revolutionary Uranus. And so Venus is sort of hovering between some challenging rocks in the road. And then there's this surprising or accidental or excited energy of Uranus. However, Venus has some pull over Uranus right now. Uranus is in Taurus, which is her sign. And so when she sees Uranus across the way, there's this sense of like, hey, it's me. You're staying in my house right now. I see you. Everything you do in there is mine. So remember that. And so Venus may experience this insurgence of independence or this sense of passionate excitement, or maybe she capitalizes on the element of surprise to either fuel her position or her goals or her pleasures of like, oh, I didn't expect that to be fun, but it kind of is, right? So it could also be yet another thing that gets added to the plate that is already full and a bit unpleasant. It could also be a mix of both, sort of like (laughs) Venus is like checking on the nest cam where Uranus is staying in her house and she sees there's been some changes to the rules or to the agreements and she's got to do something with that or, um, or do something about that. So as you know, Venus is our relational journeys in many ways, our relationships to what we value, to money, to one another. There may be some volatility or surprises around those things, maybe some excited independences or declarations of um, insurgents or changes that fuel how we're showing up to the things that we value or the people that we value. And those plates may already feel like they're juggling a lot, but they're going to have to juggle more. And perhaps if they're smart about it, it could work out to her advantage, or at least to the advantage of keeping some peace between Mars and Saturn. On Sunday, March 20th, the sun enters Aries, which is the following day. So the sun leaves the sign of Pisces, 
and enters Aries, which makes it the day of the spring equinox in the Northern Hemisphere, signaling the end of winter and the beginning of spring. And of course, it's the reverse in the Southern Hemisphere. So the sun is exalted in Aries, and it's really shining the bright, independent, heroic heart that is pursuing its own experience and the agenda that feeds its own light. So in the Northern Hemisphere, that corresponds with the brightening of the sun outside, the increase of daylight, which is going to, you know, tell all the flora to bloom and the fauna that more food is coming. So the sun in Aries is really able to access their courageous centers. And it tends to be unapologetic about what it wants and what it wants to do, what it's pursuing. Um, what sets them ablaze. And we talked about burnout a few weeks ago on the podcast. And so it's important to make sure that this enlivening flame um, is not a burning out flame, right? But it's one that's well tended. It's one that's feeding itself. Um, and it's feeding the heart of courage and that sense of blossoming and blooming. On Monday, March 21st, Mercury conjoins Jupiter in the sign of Pisces. So like we discussed with the full moon in Virgo, you know, if there's something that Mercury and Jupiter have been collaborating on together, maybe now they're at the peak of an exchange or a merging of their consciousness and a sharing of their gifts, the visionary and the integrator become one. It will be, you know, neither perfectly Jupiter, it will be neither it also not perfectly mercurial, but it's this unique, you know, baby chapter or collaboration that only the two of them can make. And potentially the things of Mercury, such as like commerce, education, business, you know, maybe they're experiencing some kind of release or um, access to freedom or new kind of movement that's now possible that Jupiter is help making possible. As we move into the final week of March, on Tuesday, March 22nd, Mars will also square Uranus. And so we had Venus do this last week, and so Mars is now following close behind. Mars and Uranus can sort of light each other up, and when Mars has activated this dynamic between Saturn and Uranus over the past year, it's definitely made things harder and not easier. So we could see more insurgents or rebellious qualities, explosive conflict or surprising new developments that fuel martial things or martial interests. You know, it's not a peacemaking or harmonious aspect. It definitely will not be quiet. And so if anything, it will be exaggerated, loud, and perhaps even volatile or explosive. The following day, on March 23rd, Mercury will conjoin Neptune in Pisces, which ironically or interestingly or I don't know, is ripe for smoke screening, nebulous news. So it's not a lot of precise communication on that day. Um, I was thinking of my husband and I watched the, this new movie with like Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. And it's completely ridiculous, but you know, it was funny. And they, Charlize Theron is like the secretary of state and Seth Rogen is just this like indie journalist, whatever. And they, they do LSD together. And then while they're tripping, she gets called to negotiate for some hostages, but obviously she's not sober. 
And so this Mercury conjunct Neptune feels kind of like that. Like maybe there is important news or upsets or things that need attention, but the news is coming through this like trip or some fog or blur of communication, either intentionally or not. Um, it could make things confusing, especially in the wake of whatever Mars and Uranus bring forth from one another. So it's not really a great couple of days to do like relational repair work or plan your big meeting or work on that argument. You know, it will sort of get lost in the alphabet soup a little bit. So I think it's best to write it out instead of trying to force your way through and knowing that there's not a lot of clarity to maybe not necessarily trust the first thing that comes or the first news that comes. On Sunday, March 27th, Mercury will enter Aries. And so you know, that all, that lack of clarity, that nebulousness, that fog, um, that can all change when Mercury um, enters Aries on March 27th. So they'll have a chance to sort of dry out, take their bathing suit off, dry off uh, from all the wetness, that scuba diving, that trippy communication. And I think messages and news information will become more clear, a lot more direct, and um, perhaps more heated as well. On Monday, March 28th, Venus will conjoin Saturn. And this is the last aspect we'll talk about for March. A lot of these things are, um, we'll pick back up on for April's forecast, but Venus will conjoin Saturn and this ends the uncomfortable sandwich that she's been between. So now that she's able to move past Saturn, she will finally be free to go on her way, speed up and start her own journey again. She has shed a lot of baggage fought some battles or stopped some battles, dealt with some surprising, you know, um, things in her own house while she's out of town. And now she meets Saturn in Saturn's own sign. And so there may be yet one more thing she has to sacrifice or give up, like one final hurdle that she has to get past in order to get freed or move beyond this chapter of her journey. It feels jo very Joan of Arc for me. <laughs> it's like, um, we may encounter this one more ask, one more blow or heavy news or negotiation, this one more thing we have to do or give up to really shed this chapter and journey and move forward in the face of, you know, towards our desires and relationships. I wanted to read from an email that I sent out a few weeks ago because I feel like the topic is relevant to some of the astro that will be coming up during the second half of the month. So I'm going to read for that briefly, and then I'll spill back into some other things. A theme has been arising over the past few weeks as I've been sitting with folks in sessions and on calls, people who are going through losses or separations of some kind, and they know it's the right thing. They even feel empowered by the move, but it still has some grief with it. Maybe even some strangeness because it's unfamiliar. And something that's been attached to this is that people are not realizing how badly they've been feeling or how much they were giving up or how small they were feeling. Um, they weren't aware of how bound or constricted that they felt until now, now that there's space to notice. And they didn't realize how much they've been making things work. And the making things work is something that's been coming up over and over again with so many different people. And you know, when we think of Jupiter in Pisces, you know, Jupiter is a planet that wants to bring liberation wherever it is. And because Jupiter is in their own sign, that pursuit of liberation is likely to succeed. It is very much powered and enabled. 
But in the process of becoming more free and taking up more space, taking a deep breath, we may lose things or we may lose people, whether that's temporarily or permanently, things that have been keeping us small, things that have been holding us back, things that have been restricting our movement, because now the desire, the capacity for movement is so big. Jupiter in Pisces wants to take big steps. It wants to roll in the surf of the big waves like dolphins do. But if you're bound to things that keep you from being taking those big steps from being like a playful surfing dolphin, then that Piscean impulse is going to now try to break free. And so, you know, obviously, of course, structures and boundaries are helpful, but, and we can feel grounded by things, but they don't have to be a ball and chain. And, you know, in the ocean, balls and chains are how we drown. We want to swim, we want to float, we want to fly, surf, and to do that, we have to be in connection with others who also swim and float and fly and surf, right? So we can do it together, because otherwise we're just drowning in the ocean when we could be cruising the waves. And, you know, like any um, advice for rescuing a drowning person is to, you know, don't you know, reach or throw, don't go, right? You don't jump in the water and try to save a drowning person. That is the ball and chain, right? Um, you're not going to rescue them unless you're on a boat because you will both drown. So we have to be swimming with others who know how to swim, right? Or otherwise we have to be tethered to a boat or a whale or a flotation device. You can do good work in the world and you can do it with others, but you do not have to make it work you'll notice that nature doesn't make anything work. It just works. And if something's not working, it dies, it dissolves, it casts its seeds and its information for a new evolution. And so if you've been breaking free, you know, take some deep breaths, take some big steps, take up the space that you now have. That is the reason why you did it, right? It's okay to not If you're making it work, if you're swimming through the ocean with a ball and chain, it's okay that it's gone now, even if it hurts or there's some grief attached to it. The reason you did it is so that you can swim, right? Your water heart wants to swim. It doesn't want to sink. The surf is what puts you back together. So I hope that gives you permission to release things in the name of freedom, things that feel like balls and chains when you're trying to swim in the ocean. It's okay to not... It's okay to not jump in to rescue a drowning person because that's not a good idea, right? It's okay to be like, how do I tether this? How do I throw? What do I throw? Or do I become a whale? What is the thing that the water makes possible? And what are the, what are the things I need to honor about how I want to move in this space and how can I trust that it's, you know, saving everyone isn't up to me by myself breaking free in a moment or you've cut off a ball and chain and you're realizing that there's so much more movement that you have now so much more swimming you're capable of doing so much more surfing of the waves and it feels surprisingly fun and like free and you maybe feel a little bit guilty about that just don't just don't just go for the swim let yourself feel the flow of the movement it's okay to it's okay to feel the pleasure of the wave. If it has been a long time since you felt that sense of movement and support and even fun from where you are or what you're doing, or maybe you're feeling like suddenly more space is possible or a vista has opened up there. You thought was just such a small room, right? The medicine of that is really beautiful. And it's also a message of 
support. It's also a message of surrender, right? We're surrendering something. We're giving it up so that we can also feel more supported and move with that support towards where the water wants to take us. And, you know, I think part of that, a lot of the times the ball and chain is our standards for ourselves and our expectations for ourselves, and, or putting too much on that we feel like we have to do because yeah, people can let us down or things can be disappointing, or maybe, you know, we're trying to do it all because someone else doesn't have standards as high as ours. So we got to make sure that we do it. Um, yeah, not everyone's going to do as great as everything that we do. But there's only so far we can go with that heavy burden, thinking that it's solely dependent on us to get to our destination, to the shore or to the wave or to keep on swimming, right? We can't dog paddle with a ball and chain connected to our ankles. We have to be able to swim or float or whatever. So the medicine of water can remind us that where we end up isn't entirely up to us, right? Rivers do have structure. They have boundaries. You know, the beds of the river hold the water in and create that powerful movement. They keep it from being a flood. But when we have flow like the river, we soar past those obstacles, right? We have momentum is all these different factors working together to take us and to bring us. And all we have to do is just let it. You know, the rocks don't get in the way of a river. It just makes a waterfall, right? The river doesn't have to work harder to go around. It simply has to surrender to the gravity and the terrain and the ecosystem. It has to surrender to its own nature, which is to flow, which is to go, which is to take up space, which is to just be on its way to the sea. It doesn't need more errands. It's not asking for more productivity or chores or to-do lists, not more performance or all-star achievements or accomplishments, but simply more of the nature of you and more of the surrender that you can bring. You know, floating is maybe the most survivable strategy in the ocean, not swimming. You're probably not going to be able to swim across the ocean and make it, right? But floating is something that is highly possible, that surrender, letting something carry you, letting it hold you up. Um, and so I think that is a good strategy. And, and floating has a quality of ease, right? It has a quality of breath, of being held and supported. And if you're used to dog paddling, if you're used to it being hard, or if you're used to someone or something bringing you down, you could feel guilty for being like, oh my gosh, I'm like surfing now, or oh my gosh, I'm just floating now. You know, there can be a sense of guilt that goes along with that. But you can't give everyone everything that they need. And you also can't give yourself everything that you need because you actually aren't completely in control, right? So opening up to that flow in that sense is really about receiving energy into your life and accepting that there could be just so much more than what you can only give yourself. There could be so much more than what you can do for yourself. And so maybe surrender is the only way to get to the next chapter or through the next plateau or into that wide open vista that you can sort of get a sense of and that you really feel you want to move in, but you're afraid of either giving the thing up or moving into the new zone, or you're afraid of what that feeling of ease could feel like, because it just feels so foreign. Um, there could be so much more than what you can only give yourself. And you are not the only way that things can come to you. And so just leaning back and taking a deep breath, letting the water hold you up and carry you and move through you. 
You don't have to plan it for it to be better. It can just happen. I'm going to finish with the poem Disappearing Act by Diana Mehta. Tell wrong tales to disappearing ears, devoted to stories sweeter and more contemporary, or fortune bright, shine with shocked ears, your inconsolable verses and knob-knuckled fists. Return to primeval sentences, carved in old books, sewn to spines so strong they cannot say their words. Care for what lingers, sense of time, what riches of ancient oaks are ravaged, art deco decorated here. Unperturbed we howl through teeth what we have found is only what we, expecting divinity to sparkle fast and on time, surreptitiously believe. Nothing except the treason of years lasts. The end will arrive with diamonds that cut you clear in half. Listen for laughter, blood boiling on the stove. Ask your soul what it is you have apprehended and was it worth it? Melodious pages flutter down to sing us tales of when they were trees out of breath, waltzing in breezes. In bodies sprung forward, doing and undoing heavenly dances, is footwork the labor of elegance encircling itself, or a dream of walking free under an orange-awe sun lit from within and refracted from whatever intentions it began with? We are skeletons of time and spent love. We want that brief, momentous backflip, Rilke said, noting the acrobats to muscle against gravities of age and flying there to color our blank faces. We hedge for fate. If it were a transmutation of blood or gods, the disappearing act would lift us in love with listening and give our stories perfect pitch. We would be all ears. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star review, subscribe to the show, and share the episode. Check out the links below to learn more about things we talked about and find free resources. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join us inside of the Homebody Portal, a free online community where you can talk more about the episode, learn with us, and connect with others. Let us be in service to life with courage, creativity, and connection. Thank you for being here. Be well. Peace.